His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. And this week... Mm-hmm. So, I posited this question <laughs> to people. What? <laughs> Fuck you, I'm going to continue on. What constitutes a horror movie? Mm-hmm. Because horror is one of those things that I feel like is fairly subjective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really wanted to take advantage of... I guess I kind of wanted to take advantage of that. <laughs> And have an excuse to do some movies that I love that maybe some people wouldn't think of as horror, but I do. Okay. And that is disaster movies. Yes. Yes. I fucking love disaster movies. Um, when I was a kid, my parents took us to see Twister. Mm-hmm. And for weeks afterwards, I wanted to be a storm chaser. I wanted to be Helen Hunt in Twister. Yeah. And then my mom informed me that there was a lot of math involved. <laughs> well, I mean, now now there's you know, a lot of machines that just tell you the math and then you you use that math to interpret what you need to know. I mean, yeah, I think I don't know. It, it occurred to me years later that I probably could have just been a photographer <laughs> and done that aspect of being part of the group. Yeah. And I was like, well, shit, I could have just done that. But disaster movies, I am just, I've just always been a huge fan of. I love movies about tornadoes. Uh, Day After Tomorrow, I really enjoyed um, Armageddon, Deep Impact, stuff about like, just like apocalypse weather films. I don't know sure. why I enjoy them. Well, I mean, I can definitely see a horror aspect in that there, there's a sense of powerlessness right. against this in this case, a force of nature, but mm-hmm. the force of nature is not some unkillable person in a mask or a... A shark. A, a shark or a spiritual entity, but a... Literally the earth trying to kill you. Right. And honestly, I would argue that any movie where someone watches their co-worker melt in lava or their grandmother get fried in a lake of acid mm. is a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some some horror aspects. Thank you. So we're taking our first dip into disaster films and we're talking about volcanoes. Yeah. Something you should not literally take a dip in. Yeah, please don't. Don't do that. It It's a bad time. I don't know what it is about volcanoes. I've just, I, I find them fascinating mm-hmm. and weirdly beautiful. Oh, yeah. But I, I mean, I think part of that is also because I've never been anywhere near one. Fair. I've born and raised in the Midwest. I, I don't even take tornadoes that seriously. Mm. But again, that's because I've never I've never been in a really bad one. Yeah. Wait. There we go. Yeah. I had to knock on wood. Sorry. Okay. Um, so I know that I gave you an assignment. Yes. Yes, you did. And so we're going to, as we're going through the movies, you may be interjecting some facts. Is that I'm, correct? No, I'm going to be interjecting my thoughts as we're going through the movies, and then at the end, I'm going to do a science roundup. Okay, that sounds good also. Kind of talking about the science behind it, and then how each of the movies fared. Which, I don't know. <laughs> well, and and that's, that's kind of the fun, suspenseful part, because 
I had my own pre preconceptions in watching both of these movies. And mm-hmm. so my notes as we're going through talking about the movies yeah. are going to be my notes that I did while watching the films. Yeah. I can tell you that I was not always <laughs> correct. There, there's going to be me eating of some humble pie. I will tell y'all, it was so fun. We very rarely, because of our work schedules, do we get to do rewatches or watches together mm-hmm. anymore. But we got to for, for this episode. And it was the best. <laughs> because there was... <laughs> I was I was actually chatting with our friend Gray. Mm-hmm. And I was telling them, I'm like, this is going to be a great episode. Because we paused it so you could go to the restroom. And you just stood up and you were just like shaking your head. Yeah, yeah, and then you just disbelief. stopped trying to... You stopped even trying to censor yourself <laughs> after oh, yeah. a little bit. It was great. Because when we watch stuff together, I try not to, like, let out all my thoughts because I'm writing them down instead. Mm-hmm. There were times where you started to say something and then you started furiously typing on your phone. Yes. So let's get into it. And this is another... Okay. <laughs> I swear... I swear to all the gods, I do not keep doing this on purpose. <laughs> it's okay. Both of today's movies are from 1997. And I don't keep doing that on purpose. It just so happens that 1997 was apparently a good year for volcano movies. Apparently there was a race. There was like a race to finish mm. for these wow, because they, they knew about each other. The uh, studios knew about each other's films and they just see. did a rapid production on one of them. And it just happened to get released first. It's a race to finish. Try to see whose volcano could blow first. I, so we're going to start with the one that was released first. Mm-hmm. And that is Dante's Peak, which came out in February of 97. Mm. Unfortunately, Volcano did not come out until April. Right. So Dante's Peak, which was a first time watch for you that I and I did not know that. I didn't either until about 20 minutes in. I'm like, I absolutely have no recollection of this I film. just assumed you had. I had too. Because I saw this, I saw both of these films in theaters. I saw the cover of this film and said, hmm, Pierce Brosnan vehicle, 90s. Yeah, I probably saw it. I probably instantly forgot it. No, I have never seen this before we watched it. Yeah, and this was like in the middle of Pierce Brosnan being James Bond. Yeah. So Dante's Peak. Harry Dalton, a USGS volcanologist, is sent to the small Pacific northwestern town of Dante's Peak to investigate some unusual activity coming from their namesake dormant volcano. Unfortunately for the town's residents, it doesn't look like the volcano will be dormant for much longer. So this was directed by Roger Donaldson, screenplay by Leslie Boehm. As previously mentioned, Pierce Brosnan is in this. I forgot how beautiful his eyes are. Yes, they are quite quite stunning. Uh, so Pierce Brosnan is Harry Dalton. He was James Bond from 95 to 2002. Mm-hmm. He's been in a lot of other stuff since. He cannot sing. <laughs> but he... but He tries. Yeah. But anyone who's seen Mamma Mia knows that poor Pierce Brosnan cannot sing. Bless his heart. Uh, Linda Hamilton is Rachel Wando. She... Most people know her as Sarah Connor in the Terminator franchise. She's fucking amazing. Charles Hallahan as Paul Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. He was Norris in The Thing, as well as being in a lot of other things. This was actually 
one of the last movies that he did before he unfortunately passed away in November of 97. Mm. Elizabeth Hoffman is Ruth. She was, uh, did you ever watch Matlock back yeah. in the day? I know my mom did. Yeah. Uh, she was Judge Mary Russell okay. on Matlock. Uh, Jeremy Foley is Graham Wando. He was Griffin on the show called Caitlin's Way, which I'm not familiar with. Mm, no. Jamie Renee Smith is Lauren Wando. She is most recently she played Violet on a show called Hidden Canyons, which I'm also not familiar with. Hidden Canyons. Nope. Doesn't no. ring a bell. No, I, I didn't figure it would. If I don't know it, then you probably aren't going to know. <laughs> oh, thanks. What? I'm just saying. I know about I'm, the weird shows. That's OK. That is fair. I am sorry. Kirk Trutner is Terry. Mm -hmm. I couldn't really find anything else he had done of note. Uh, same thing with Arabella Field, who played Nancy. Okay. Uh, Z Ma was Stan. He was General Onada on The Man in the High Castle. And then Grant Heslov is Greg, the guy who was like hyper for coffee. Yeah. He has acted some more, but he is mostly now into like producing. Oh, cool. So, yeah. I do have a couple pieces of trivia. Okay. So there is a point early on in the film where uh, Harry is measuring the uh, pH of the water in the lake by Ruth's house. Mm -hmm. And the water is reading at like a 3.48. Yes. So that makes it a medium strong acid. Correct. Which is apparently somewhere between a carbonated drink, which has a pH of five thereabouts mm -hmm. and battery acid which has a ph of two yeah uh that reading actually would be somewhere between vinegar and grapefruit juice okay cool you'll hear about that we'll, later. we'll do more science in the, in later <laughs> <laughs> one of the other things i saw a note about was harry's analogy about a frog in a pot mm. yes uh he does this great he does this analogy about if you toss a frog into a pot of boiling water it'll jump out instantly mm -hmm. but if you put the frog in like room temperature water and slowly increase the temperature, it will just stay in the water as it slowly boils to death. Yep. Apparently that is an urban myth. Mm. Modern scientists agree that any normal frog would try to escape from any environment as soon as it started to get too hot. Right. So it's bullshit. Uh, and all the crater scenes mm -hmm. were filmed at uh, Mount St. Helens. That tracks. Yeah. So this this movie, and again, like I said in the beginning, I I love disaster movies, and Dante's Peak has like fucking everything. It even has a James Newton Howard score. Well, kind of. He was credited with it. He was credited, so he composed the theme oh, okay. and some other like stylistic bits, but the rest of the score was done by this other guy whose name I don't remember. Oh. I don't know why they did it that way. Who knows? But yeah, James, it has a very 90s score. Yeah. And honestly, this is my Stefan from SNL moment. This movie has everything. There's lava, there's fire, there's explosions, there's floods. There's people like getting boiled alive and like walking through acid. It's just like anything you could want from like a disaster standpoint, it has. There's car crashes, there's helicopter explosions. It's just like everything. It's so great. <laughs> I think you might disagree, though, because I remember you. Well, I was I was a little put off at the cold open where they're in the midst of an yeah. eruption. So the cold open takes place in this uh, in Colombia, mm -hmm. 
where Harry and it basically it's four years prior to the rest of the film. Right. Where Harry and his fiance are fleeing this erupting volcano and they leave it till it's too late. And she actually dies when like some debris like goes through their truck and like hits her in the head. Yeah. Yeah. My The issue I had really with the establishing disaster was that they, it, it, it's such a frantic scene, which is great for, for getting instant engagement, right? Mm-hmm. But it was also shot realistically dark. It was very dark. And that made it, at least my my impression of it watching it, was that um, it made it dark enough that we couldn't see that those were foam rocks that were tumbling down, because rocks usually don't bounce at slow speed. That's fair. But uh, that was my initial impression. Yeah. I, I believe I wrote in my notes, uh, so we can't see any of these crap effects. But then again, I have science behind everything else. So we'll see how that... Most of my comments may or may not age well. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't say anything deeply problematic, I think we're fine. No, I mean, age well within my notes of the movie may not age well based on the science that I researched in the five hours research later. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, <laughs> so four years later, Harry is sent to uh, Dante's Peak, which is this small... They don't really say if it's in Washington or Oregon. They never really specify. It's Pacific Northwest. Mm. Because I guess they're getting some weird, uh, some weird readings mm-hmm. from some equipment that they uh, put up there in the... When was it? In the 80s, I think, when Mount St. Helens yeah. blew. And they think it's probably nothing, but they still have to like do their due diligence. And so, of course, Harry shows up, does some measurements. There's dead trees. Ruth mentions that squirrels have been dropping dead all over the mountain. As I previously mentioned, the pH in the lake is off yeah, to a concerning degree. And then they also find two people that have basically been boiled alive in a hot spring where the temperature just skyrocketed, jumped, skyrocketed yeah. like almost instantly while because they you get to see these people that are in it and they're fine and then all of a sudden it like starts instantly boiling and the first instapot oh that's <laughs> so harry of course calls his co-workers and they're all going to come down but he thinks instantly like we need to put this town on alert because something's probably going to happen. Right. He's he's reading the signs, reading reading the leaves, if you will. And yeah, also, he's supposed to be on vacation. Well, yeah, but he's good at his... He's really good and he wasn't... I don't know. I just find it funny that both movies involve a guy that's supposed to be on vacation. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, I will say this movie takes a while to kind of get... Really get going. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of setup to most disaster films. Right. You have to sit through a lot of, like, heavy, like, science and pseudoscience and people doing research and... And then people arguing over the best plan. And right. And yes, you can go. No, I don't want you going. No, I'll go. Well, because Harry instantly wants to put the town on, on alert just in case, whereas his his boss, Paul, doesn't want to because he's had previous experience where he put a town on alert and then nothing happened. But then that town basically died 
as a result of the they lost tourism all the businesses started to started to die and eventually the town itself just died because he was overly cautious Mm. and because of that he wants to take more time do more research see maybe because maybe this is nothing right i do appreciate though he does admit later that he was wrong Mm -hmm. because you don't really get that in disaster movies or horror movies really yeah you very rarely get someone talking to the protagonist and being like listen i am sorry you were right and i was wrong i mean because shit no one ever apologized to ellen ripley did they no, they just put her in suspended animation and then thought her out uh, when they needed her for another mission. And fucking blamed her for shit. There were several moments, uh, I know, where you were, like, laughing maniacally. <laughs> mm-hmm. One moment in particular is, um, so Rachel does not get in, get along with her former mother-in-law, Ruth, mm-hmm. who lives, like, way up high on the mountain. And my first note about her is, Grandma Ruth made her choice. I know, because the kids go up to to bring her down, but she doesn't want to leave the mountain. She would rather stay up there and die up there or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But when everybody, when they're getting ready to leave, all of a sudden the back wall of her cabin is just gone. And there's just this pool, this like pool of lava just starts coming in. Yeah. It's, it's like a three and a half, four foot high wave of molten lava going through a log cabin wall. And I'm sitting there going, I'm pretty sure that much molten rock would have gone through your cabin before it got up to that backup level. Right, because it's wood. pretty high. Yeah, it's a uh, you. Oh my god, you just started laughing. Yeah, that pulled me uh, into a very special place where I'm like, for a very brief moment, I'm like, just wipe everybody out. Yeah, roll credits. Mm-hmm. In the shadow of a potential volcanic event, they decide to get everybody in town. To meet at the school gym, so I guess that way they can all know where to find all the bodies if it erupts while they're in there. Well, and I don't know why they couldn't just... Okay. <laughs> so I don't know exactly how long this USGS team is up there. It's it's several weeks, probably a month at least. Harry and Rachel have started to kind of have feelings for each other and she's getting her daughter a glass of water and the water is like brown and mm-hmm. smells bad. Yeah. And Harry shows it to Paul and is like, this is, is this proof enough that something is going on now? Because. And this Paul's is, eyes get really big. He's don't like, they? oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> when that happens, Rachel, because she's the mayor of the town she goes on the local TV news and is like, hey, we're going to have this meeting. It's going to be at the high school so you can ask questions and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, honestly, at that point, just tell everybody what they need to know on that broadcast and then have the sheriff go around handing out those like the whatever evacuation plans, the evacuation yeah. pan packets or whatever that she was just have them have a sheriff, sheriff's deputies on the way out of town like the various roads out of town, handing one to every car as it leaves. I don't know why that couldn't be done. I don't know why we had to get the entire town in. I guess so we have this big, once the volcano does actually start to to erupt, this mass panic situation. Yes, uh, or as I put it, ah, the good stuff, people being dumb. 
Right, because everybody starts running towards the apparently one exit of a high school gym, which I know is wrong. Mm-hmm. Because I've been in, I've been in a high school gym before. I know that there are multiple exits. Yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking about my high school gym. There were at least four. One led outside, two led to the hallway, and another one led down to the locker rooms. Yeah. So, like, I don't understand the everybody running for one exit. And there's one helicopter pilot in the area, apparently. Who is a total douchebag. Yeah. Uh, because when Harry and Terry are up in the mountain doing some investigative work, there's another small earthquake and Terry's leg gets broken and they're trying to get the helicopter pilot to go pick them up. And he he suddenly wants to like double his rates. Yeah, he wants to renegotiate his his rates. And I'm like, yeah, profiteering asshole. I know. Which like later on when he dies, I'm like, okay, rip greedy helicopter pilot. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, I've got that one here too. Ah, now people are being profiteering assholes. Wait, dead assholes. Mm-hmm. That tidied the issue. Yep. Because I think he accepts like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars from that guy that from was that be a rich inve- developer. Yeah, the developer. Was, yeah, because there's this rich developer who's going to make a resort mm-hmm. in the town, which is another reason why they're so hesitant to put the town on alert. Is because they don't want this rich developer to take his money somewhere else. Right. And that guy pays the helicopter pilot like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to take him and this other guy out of town, not really understanding that. Um, Volcanic ash does bad things to helicopters and planes and vehicles in general. <laughs> yeah, unless it's designed for specific like firefighting activities or things like that. Yeah, you don't want that going into any kind of turbine engine. You don't want it going into any uh, air intake engine. Mm-hmm. Ash is bad, okay? Yeah. I got a note here about the lightning. Uh, what's going on with the eruption? Yeah. Uh, I, I asked if a quickening was happening, um, (laughs) because, because the- I was wondering why you said something about Highlander. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, when we were watching, I was like, so where's the Highlander? Because the lightning effects very much looked like the first Highlander film. Yeah. Um, but apparently that's actually a relatively common thing at, at the site of an eruption for there to be, uh, some- because of the lightning. changes in the atmosphere. Right. The atmospheric, instant atmospheric changes that are taking place. Because I imagine that it, because of the uh, in the rapid increase of heat, maybe? Among, I don't know. Amongst, amongst many other, other things. things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I have a question about the the lake. Okay. I've got a couple things before the lake. Okay. Go go to your things before the, before the lake. So we've got a lot of stuff happening all at once. We've got, yeah. you know... Uh, We've, we've got debris, we've got ash, we've got uh, fires, and I, again, took issue with the debris physics. Um, I just didn't feel like it was very believable. It seemed like some of these buildings collapsed really easily, too. Yeah. Like, that, that, that church, the spire just kind of fell over. Like, I've seen Lego buildings that are more durable. <laughs> right, and I, I think they said something was like a 5.2 earthquake um that that they were reading like one of the higher reading earthquakes Mm -hmm. i grew up in la 5.2 that's one of those ones where you notice it and you go huh okay well time to go to work or time to go to school i feel like i i think i've said this before i feel like uh your attitude towards earthquakes is similar to my attitude towards tornadoes yeah no fuck tornadoes (laughs) 
Because here's the thing. Earthquakes, I, I like natural disasters that just kind of sneak up on you and you're either ready or you're not. Whereas tornadoes, they're like, and we're tracking it down. You can actually watch it come about to rip your home apart. No, 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 no. No. Like, like there are so many stories of, of people saying, yeah, I watched my neighbor in their house and, and them fly off and the cows flew off and they didn't even, it didn't even touch my home. And now I've got survivor's guilt and I'm sitting here going, that is torturous. Do we, there have been times where the sirens are going off and David has asked me, do we need to be, do we need to be worried about that? And I'll look at the radar map and be like, nah, we're good. We can go in the bathroom if you want, but we're probably fine. <laughs> No, no. Give me an earthquake any day. Uh, There's also uh, a line that really dates this movie. Okay. And that's, get real, Beavis. Actually, okay, here you say that. Uh Uh-huh. There was just released a trailer for a new Beavis and Butthead movie. Right, but this was 1997. I know. Back when it was first relevant. Right, I know. But I'm saying that line is becoming relevant again. That's great. After the whole Get Real Beavis thing, then we get lava. Yes. And after we get lava, we can uh, we get to the whole lake area. Yes. Uh, because, unfortunately, because of the way the lava is coming down, Harry, Rachel, and the kids, and Ruth. I don't... I have oh, thoughts and, about Ruth. and the dog. Well, the dogs run off. They don't know where the dog is. Right, right. They find the dog later. We'll get to that. I have thoughts about that, and I know you do, too. They get in this boat to go across the lake. Mm-hmm. And Harry soon realizes that the pH of the lake has gotten to such a point to where it is slowly eating through the metal of the boat. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Well, I did have a note in here about how quickly uh, a body of water can turn so acidic that it eats through aluminum. And I have your answer later. Okay. So we'll go into the... The short answer is, is that a thing? Potentially. Okay. All right. So stay tuned to everyone for the answer. (laughs) Find out towards the end of this episode when we'll actually get that answer. All right. Uh, I have another question. Mm -hmm. Should I know how to hotwire a car? Uh... Because it seems to come... Okay. I understand that there are certain... In movies, Mm -hmm. there are certain people that... Or maybe just in life. Let's let's go to where you may have come across that skill. I don't know why Harry knows how to hotwire a car because he's like a scientist. Mm-hmm. So it's it's there's been enough times where someone in a movie has hotwired a car, and I don't know why they know how to do that. That it's become one of those things where like, is that a life skill I should have? It's a waning one. And and this one I can answer because it doesn't deal with the science. This is just something I know off the top of my head. And that is, it will work for any non-chipped ignition system. Uh Uh-huh. But if you have any type of integrated chip in your key or in your fob or something like that that needs to be present. Yeah. It's not going to help you. uh, Because it won't have... Those sparks aren't going to To initiate the computer within the car. Okay. Uh, at least that's what I. So like was older cars, me. it'll work. Right. You could steal any of any of the cars the Winchesters use because they've most likely hotwired those if it wasn't their own. That's fair. It's just one of those things where I'm like, you see someone in a movie hotwire a car or like pick a lock, or they do that thing with like um, a wire hanger to try and get the door unlocked. Mm. And I'm just like, should I know how to do that? 
Should I know how to do any of this? <laughs> Again, probably not a... It's more complicated than that. Okay. Especially with newer locking mechanisms. Uh, again, technology has actually made a lot of those skills less... Relevant? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. That plus I don't want to necessarily encourage all of our listeners to go learn how to... Like, no officer, I was just practicing how to do this. Yeah. Just in case I ever get stuck in a town with that has an active volcano going off and I need to hotwire a truck... No, you just mug the person for the keys and you go. Well, they were. It was an abandoned car that they were. They couldn't find the keys. Nobody checked the visor. That's fair. They're probably going to be kicking themselves when when they're you know driving along and the keys fall out of the visor because uh, apparently knows? that's also where they always exist. I don't know. One other thought that I had while watching this movie is how weirdly beautiful some some things were, like the fuck. What is the name of that pyroclastic? Yeah pyroclastic flow the, the pyro the cloud yeah when, uh, actually the the term in french for that uh, mm-hmm. which i would butcher and i did not write down uh means burning cloud okay yeah it's it's not a friendly cloud it was terrifyingly beautiful the care bears do not go there no fair enough i know you probably have more thoughts on this film so I do. I'm, and that was my last thought was like, why is this cloud so pretty? Um, so go ahead and, and take it away, David. Okay, so only real talk in the circle. Uh, never, <laughs> and I'm being dead serious, never attempt to drive through magma or a lava flow. Yes. Last time, so I watched this movie at work a few months ago, and I had to pause and look. First, I asked my coworker, Dan, because he's super into science, and I was like, do you know what this is a thing you can do? Because it doesn't seem like you should be able to. And he didn't know, so we had to look it up. The answer is don't fucking do it. Yeah, it seems like it would be a bad idea. Best case scenario, you wreck the vehicle that you're in and you have to flee it quickly. On foot. On foot. Yeah. Which now you're in a slower mode of transportation, more exposed to the elements and potential other debris and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, worst case scenario... Uh, you're in a metal burning coffin because you're now stuck in the middle of the flow. I don't care if it's even four inches thick. Don't do it. I mean, they they advise, you know, if it's, what is it, six inches or eight inches of, of water covering the, the ground, don't drive through it. Yeah. Uh, because you can't really tell how deep it is. You can't tell if maybe part of the street's buckled underneath, th- things like that. Well, Just- and Rachel asks, she's like, can we drive over this? And he's like, well, there's a bit of a crust so we can at least try it. And maybe it'll be fine. Pierce, I love you, man. But the only bit of crust was on the side of your mouth. That's that's not that's <laughs> not any crust that you want to try rolling your dice with your new new love interest and her kids. True. That's you don't just don't. Yeah. Oh, and also hearing the score towards the end, I was I could not help but hear the modern Fallout theme. Yeah, the war never changes. Yeah, that, you know, the, the horns. Yeah. Um, also, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, does lying to kids help when consequences are dire? Like, like when people are like, oh, you know, is, is the boat sinking? Or, you know, are we going to, you know, could like, well, like, is minimizing the danger that they're in really helpful? Causing a panic is not going to help. No. What about being real with them saying, I need you to be calm because if we, you know, if we, if we don't do I don't what know. I'm telling you to do, yeah. then yes, you could severely get hurt. 
So chill out. That's just going to cause undue, like you, I feel like you are better off just saying, you know, just sit like this and it's going to be okay. Because you want to try and be with anybody in a traumatic situation like that. You want to try and be reassuring because you don't, I don't know. I, I feel like causing, I feel like being too honest with some people can cause a panic. Okay. Because uh, they're not going to think, they may not think rationally. Here's the thing, though. I was accused of being very Amelia Bedelia-like as a child. So if you told me everything's going to be okay, I'm going to go grab my G.I. Joes and play over here in the corner and ignore everything else that's going on. Right. Well, I'm not going to have my head on a swivel. I'm not going to be watching out for things. Let's be honest, honey. You were not the average child. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm saying the average child, it's probably best to not cause undue stress and panic and worry but i mean even things like are we gonna get out of the mine it's like well like maybe maybe i mean how well did you stock the place i don't i don't know what to tell you dear (laughs) uh i also thought it was very interesting for a film in 97 to be doing kind of a a ending wrap-up with a lot of focus on fema personnel but there was no information indicating that uh this one small town was declared a, you know, a, a federal emergency had been declared on this small town. Um, they did call in the National Guard to help with the evacuation. Yeah, but it still has to be an actual declaration of a national disaster in, in order for FEMA to be called in. I don't know. I feel like this would qualify. And I'm just wondering if FEMA was trying to get some good press after stuff in ni- from 93 to 95. I don't know. Also, my only other note I have right now on this is... How the fuck are Pierce Brosnan's light-colored pants so clean after being in a cave and trapped in a truck and running through volcano land? Yeah, uh-huh. I, I don't buy it. I can't. Uh-huh. I can't wear a pa- pair of khaki pants and walk through an office not touching anything without there being a little smudge on the side of my pants. Am I just a sloppy walker? I don't know, dear. Okay. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, disaster movie. I'm focused on Pierce's pants. That's fine. I, honestly, I like the next movie we're going to cover better anyway. So. Okay. I like them both, but I love. I don't know why. We'll get into it. Can we take a fan break? Yes, we can take a fan break. Because I'm burning up. <laughs> How appropriate. We'll be right back. All right. We've had our obligatory summertime recording fan break. Hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're... We get finally get to the point where we're like, it's hot. We have to stop for a second and turn the AC back on. Yeah. But now we're back with our second movie, also from 1997, Volcano. Mm. And this one, like I said earlier, came out in April mm-hmm. of that year. Unfortunately, it didn't... There, There is some speculation that because it was the second Volcano movie released that year, it didn't do as well as the people initially thought it would. Mm. I honestly, as as much as I like Dante's Peak, I prefer Volcano. And I think that's just because it's, um, I think it's a much more interesting concept. Okay. Because the whole thing with Dante's Peak is it's this small mountain town that's nestled against a dormant volcano. And while it is a dormant volcano, they still know that it's there. Right. Whereas volcano it's like a whole new thing Hmm. whether or not it's a realistic possibility we'll get into later i'm sure uh so volcano things are heating up in the ground under los angeles before oem director mike rourke and cigs scientist amy barnes can get to the bottom of what's causing it 
lava erupts from the La Brea tar pits. Now they're in a race against time to save as much of the city and its citizens as they can. I'm proud of myself for that one. That That is good. Thank you. Uh, directed by Mick Jackson. Screenplay by Jerome Armstrong and Billy Ray. Who wants to know? Who I was just know? thinking that. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> only millennials will understand. Um, <laughs> uh, or Gen X. Oh, that's right. You're not a millennial. No. So, so the cast... Tommy Lee Jones is Mike Rourke. One of my favorite roles. I love movies that have big, good casts like this because I get to do my favorite thing that they've been in. Mm -hmm. Or like, for some people, I do that. I have that opportunity. Yes. Yes. Of course you do. You know what I mean. Yes, I do. Uh, One of my favorite things that Tommy Lee Jones has ever been in, Sam Gerard and The Fugitive and U.S. Marshals. Yes. If you've never seen The Fugitive, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Anne Heche is Amy Barnes. She was... Uh, One of the more recent roles that I really liked her in, she was Mary Ellis in The Best of Enemies. Mm -hmm. Gabby Hoffman is Kelly Rourke. She was Steffi in 200 Cigarettes. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's the one that ends with uh, uh, Glasses Guy. Um, Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello, yes. Yeah. Strange I know him as Glasses Guy. Well, I mean, that's his trademark. Don Cheadle is Emmett Reese. Most people, I feel, will know him as James Rhodey Rhodes from the MCU. Oh, yeah. He he has done other things, yeah, but like... Yeah, he has. Keith David is LAPD Lieutenant Ed Fox. Hell yeah, he is. We have previously mentioned Keith David as uh, playing Childs in The Thing, mm-hmm. but he's been in a lot of other stuff. I've recently been replaying Saints Row 4, where he voices, basically plays a version of himself, but he's your vice president. Yeah. Jacqueline Kim is Dr. Jay Calder. She did a lot of TV stuff. Mm-hmm. John Corbett is Norman Calder. He was uh, Aiden on Sex and the City. Michael Rispoli is Gator Harris. He was uh, Richie Sansome in On Billions. The other thing that I really remember him from is um, Joe Jr., who was uh, the guy who was really into Sandra Bullock in uh, While You Were Sleeping. Oh, yeah. Uh, John Carroll Lynch is uh, Stan Olber, the guy who works for the MTA, the mm-hmm. MTA director. He recently played uh, David Dellinger in The Trial of the Chicago 7, but Mm -hmm. he's been in a lot of other stuff. He was um, on American Horror Story. He was in Zodiac. He's one of those, you look at him and you're like, oh my God, it's that guy. Right, right. Uh, And then last we have Dayton Callie as Roger Laffer from the DWP. Mm -hmm. He was Wayne Unser on Sons of Anarchy, which I never watched, but I always heard was good. And score by Alan Savistri, or is this... One of the situations where someone else actually did the score and he just... No, he did it. Okay. No, Alan Silvestri did it. Okay. Uh, The only trivia I have is some of my favorite stuff, which is alternative casting. Okay. So I only have two. Well, two characters. Okay. Alternative casting for Dr. Amy Barnes, Jillian Anderson. Okay. I could see it, especially in 97. Yeah, I could totally see it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And then for Mike Rourke... Mm Mm-hmm. Ed Harris. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have the uh, trademark Tommy Lee Jones crankiness, but but I could see it. Yeah, there's a certain quality to the character that I feel like yeah. Tommy Lee Jones brings. But also Bill Pullman. Okay. And Bruce Willis. Hmm. Okay. I feel like I feel like Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Heche do a really good job, though. I, yeah, I think they do a great job. There's this very sweet 
weird camaraderie that they have. It's almost like a like they respect each other in their fields. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not the geological person. I'm going to lean on you for that. Yeah, get me a scientist who knows what they're doing. And yeah. he he listens to her to a point. The only time he doesn't listen to her is when she wants to do something. And he's like, that's dangerous. I'm not going to let you do that. <laughs> and then she's like, well, are you going to do- go down and do it? And he's like, hell no. And she's like, okay, well then, you know, or no. Uh, or, no, she said, so you're going to have me pull you up if you need to? Yeah. Yeah, that's a uh, good rational thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite lines in this movie is very early on. So let me get into a little bit of there's a very there's like a small earthquake, mm-hmm. which it's Southern California. I even, I'm yeah. sure earthquakes are not rare. They're not. Uh, actually, there's a uh, USGS site and a local California site uh, like Caltech and all that stuff. Yeah. You can actually look at like earthquakes per day, earthquakes per week. Uh, because there's low level ones that you don't even feel, you know, the anything below like a 2.5, you're not even going to feel a, a vibration. Yeah. Well, and there's it's they're even so commonplace that Stan and the other Metro guys are like placing bets on the magnitude and the point of origin. Yeah. And so they're just like waiting to see like well, who's going to win the pot. When basically. I lived in California, if it wasn't in Pasadena, I was surprised. Yeah, I think they said this one, this at the beginning of the film, Palmdale. Yeah. I think is what they said. So there's this initial small quake, but it kind of, that's the catalyst for everything else. Right. And I mean, I even wrote in here, that's a, that's LA in a quake, which reminded me of this time I was getting ready for school and the news was on and there is this newish newscaster i think he was doing weather he was starting to do weather mm-hmm. and growing up in california you know there there's these like jolting earthquakes and then there's rolling earthquakes which scare the shit out of me okay rolling earthquakes are terrifying because the ground is not supposed to like lift you up and then set you back down yeah that sounds that, weird it, it's it's really weird anyway there was a rolling earthquake that went through and I could see some shaking and like light swinging on TV mm-hmm. and this new, I, he was either doing weather or, or sports. I can't remember, but I just remember it was the first time I think I was maybe th- I had to have been no, no more than second or third grade and dude, dude went, Oh shit. And dove underneath the desk and everybody else was just like, not even under the desk yet. They were just like, okay, let's see what happens. And he was probably from, he was probably from Missouri because <laughs> Because University of Missouri has one of the best journalism schools in the country. Possibly. So if he was doing sports, he was probably from Missouri. <laughs> but it, it was just it was just one of those things because I saw it on the news. And then about 20 seconds later, maybe less than that, mm-hmm. I felt it at home. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, rolling earthquake. And then I went to school. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's low-level earthquakes in California. Yeah. I will say shit pops off a lot faster in this film because we get that low level earthquake Mm -hmm. and then there are some DWP is Department of Water and Power. And there are some there's a crew that's doing work in a system uh, under MacArthur Park. Mm -hmm. And there is like suddenly they're, they're down there and they're screaming and like yellow smoke. Yeah, you don't want to see yellow smoke. That's, and that's not good. Yeah, only one of them comes up and he's like severely burned. Yeah. 
So I've been to California once. I didn't go to any of the places in this movie. <laughs> I didn't even go to the La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah. I should have. I could. That would have been. I would have enjoyed that. Really? I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It was over 10 years ago. Yeah. I was like 23 at the time. I might have enjoyed it. I don't know. Maybe. Next time I go visit my uncles, I'm going to go to the La Brea Tar Pits. <laughs> okay. One of the things I appreciate about this movie is the complexity of the situation. Because it's not, I mean, it's, it's LA. Yeah. It's it, a metropolitan, it's a major metropolitan city. It's one of the biggest you cities. Can't, you can't just have them all meet up in the gym. <laughs> right. It's not, it's not a small town in the Pacific Northwest. It's LA. Yeah. There's no precedent for, for how to deal with this kind of a situation. Which is why I really like the, I was, I'm remembering now what I was getting to with the whole talking about MacArthur Park. Once these guys die in this whatever happens, mm-hmm. Rourke wants to get like some scientists to check it out. Because uh, when they take the survivor to the hospital, the doctors are figure out they're like, this is not a steam burn. This is this is a sulfur burn. Yeah, this is this. It, this is not steam. There's no right. way. He goes down with one of his guys and they find a shit ton of dead rats and like their PPE starts to melt. Yeah, which uh, is not normal. No, because they actually have decent like respirators and like. Yeah, they, they, they've they've got a decent setup. But one thing I noticed, though, is when the, the crew was being hauled out. Mm-hmm. All I could think of was that uh, I don't think DWP was actually following gas-free and confined space protocols uh, under Code of Federal Regulations 1910.146 OSHA guidelines. (laughs) David and Brian David Gilbert, the only people who read OSHA regulations even though they don't have to. (laughs) So I read all of (laughs) 1910.146. Of course you did. We're going to watch that unraveled later. Yes, we are. (laughs) So I'm not going to bore you with a whole long reading of this. I'm just going to give you some high points. Okay. Things that did not take place. When entrance covers are removed, the opening shall be promptly guarded by a railing, temporary cover, or other temporary barrier that will prevent an accidental fall through an opening and that will protect each employee working in the space from foreign objects entering the space. Was there a railing? There was some sort of, like, yellow rail... After the accident? Oh, after the accident? No, I'm talking before. Yeah, there was some sort of yellow railing, but I didn't look like it would do much. Exactly. So it was insufficient. How about this? When there's changes in configuration of a non-permit confined space that might increase the hazards to entrance, the employer shall reevaluate the space and, if necessary, reclassify it as a permit-required confined space. In other words, did they restrict access after the accident? I can tell you no because... Not very well. (laughs) Because we had two different sojourns in it, unfettered by any type of... Yeah, because that was the whole thing with Mike wanting to, with Mike Rourke wanting to go in with his with his buddy Gator, or fellow OEM employee Gator. Yeah, not just like a fishing buddy or something. Yeah, no, because they even though Department of Water and Power was going to do an investigation, he believed it was going to take too long, and he's like, I don't want to wait. I want to know what's going on down there now. Which I think technically under OEM guidelines, he has the right to go down there and investigate. But I don't think that um, since they snuck in at like four o'clock in the morning, I don't think that Rachel and Amy had 
should have been able to get down there. So then that's where, after the accident, they would have at least had to reevaluate whether or not it needed to be a permit-required space Mm -hmm. and implement measures to prevent unauthorized access until the space could be cleared for re-entry. Yeah. They failed there. Because they do evacuate the park. Oh, sure. Of course. They they evacuate the park, but they're, they're... I don't think they really do a whole lot other than that. Because the whole thing with Amy and Rachel, her coworker going there so early in the morning is there, she's like, oh, we'll, we'll go when the cops are off duty. So basically they're trying to time it to go during shift change from what I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. The shift change of police. Yeah. Were there tethers attached to any of the people in that confined space when the accident occurred? Um, Because it looked to me like two guys coking and joking until the uh, yellow smoke came out. I didn't see anybody uh, on radio communications with them, nor nor was anyone attached to a line that they could be pulled up from the space. I I don't think so. City of California, talent or city of Los Angeles. California, it's a city. <laughs> Actually, there is a California, Missouri. Well, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, I promise, I am from there. Uh, also, I don't feel like the the guys at the initiating ec- incident had appropriate PPE, even if it was considered a relatively safe, confined space to be in, especially mm-hmm. since there was that door that was dogged down that they opened up. Yeah. Um, and then later closed you know, this metal barrier door. First of all, it should have been locked off in, in two stages before they entered in there. That's another part of the CFR. Yeah. I, no one was wearing full body harness because they were lower than five feet underground. So I don't know what to tell you, dear. I guess take it to City Hall. Yeah. So after Gator and, and Rourke get out of this, doing their investigation, he's mm-hmm. like, find me a scientist. Right. And that's when Dr. Barnes gets involved. It's her cohort, Rachel, that says the line I really like because Barnes is explaining to Rourke about tectonic plates and um, how earthquakes can open up fissures that mm-hmm. she she's like hesitant to just say lava. And so when Rachel just says it, Rourke is, of course, like, skeptical. He's like, do we have a history of that in L.A.? And she mentions this case that is is a real case from the 1940s in in, uh, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And then she says, there's no history of anything until it happens. And then there is. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite lines in this whole fucking movie. I also like that they tell tell Rourke to go back to Kansas. And he's like, St. Louis, actually. He's like, I'm actually from St. Louis. I I mean, even though I'm a transplant from L.A., I felt kind of a double warmth yeah but yeah it's one of those things where like i don't know i just once it really starts to because of course like i mentioned rachel and barnes go in and um they're taking samples and and readings and all this and that's when there's another earthquake that's a little more involved i guess you would say yeah a little stronger and that one uh is really what causes like more of it to open up and for the actual whole shit to be going down. Right, right. It sort of uh, changes the tectonics of the film. Fair. So one of the things that we as the audience notice that isn't really, nobody is really paying attention to in the film, they keep going back to the La Brea Tar Pits. Uh-huh. Which, um, the mammoth sinking. Yeah. So if you've, if you've ever, I'm sure everyone has at least seen, or most people have seen images of the La Brea tar pits. If you haven't, just Google it. Most people have never heard of the La Brea tar pits. Really? 
That's my understanding. Plus, any of our international listeners, this is in California. That's on the far west side. Well, you all know where L.A. is. Right. I mean, my travels overseas, people knew L.A., New York, and they, they say, well, where are you from? I say, in the center. In the middle, yeah. Because they don't know where the hell Missouri is. Well, that's true. That's I mean, there's, there's 50 states. Who can keep... I mean, can you name all of the provinces of Canada? I could probably name most of them. But it's less than 50, yeah? Well, yeah, it's way less than 50. Right. So, I mean, we've got a ridiculous setup. It's hard It's hard to keep track. <laughs> I'm ju- Well, okay. So, if you are not familiar with the La Brea Tar Pits, it's this... It's a geological... How the fuck do I explain the La Brea Tar Pits? Tourist attraction. It's a, it's a geological anomaly that's basically a tourist attraction in LA. It's this pit of tar and methane and there are like some statues in and around it one of them is of like a mammoth that's gotten stuck in the tar Mm. and one of the things that we as the audience can see is every once in a while they'll cut back to the tar pits and the mammoth is slowly sinking Mm. but it's happening so slowly that nobody notices so after this next big earthquake that is a lot more intense mike is driving to his office he has his daughter with him and they're driving down wilshire Mm -hmm. which apparently there's a ton of museums yeah down there i didn't which i'm sad now that i didn't go when i was i love museums yeah i went to the i went to the guggenheim wait no what is it called i don't know the fuck is the name of it hang on i lived there i didn't go to the tourist spots I was a tourist, so I did. Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> the Getty, that's where I went. Yeah. But the fuck did I think it was the Guggenheim? Isn't that in, like, New York or D.C. or something? I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I never claimed I was smart. Wait, yes, I have. I'm smart in different ways. I apologize. No, I went to the, I w- I went to the Getty, but there's this whole voiceover thing at one point where they talk about how this stretch of Wilshire is like called museum row. And I was like, fuck, why didn't I go there? I should have, I wanted to, I want to go there now. There's lots of places I want to go, but that's when lava starts pouring out of the, uh, the La Brea tar pits and just kind of spreading. And there's like these lava bombs, Mm -hmm. which are those, are those a real thing? We'll get into it. Okay. Just. It's technically Believe it or not, uh huh, classified as a form of ash. Okay, I'll say the lava bombs are a bit extreme. Okay, but not impossible in this film. Okay, because there's one of them that is like they seem to be pretty big, like like the size of four basketballs. Yeah, that's that's a rather large. Yeah, we're also approaching one of my favorite lines in the film, which is that's Rana's Rana's Bosch is heavy. Yes. Okay. So because this is on Museum Row, they've got these fire trucks and they're trying to figure out how do they control or at least mitigate the damage. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the museums that's on this street is uh, having a um, an exclusive exhibit of a various Hieronymus Bosch paintings. And they're like loading them into trucks. They're loading them into trucks so they can get them out of there. And one of the guys says, this Hieronymus Bosch is heavy. And the other guy doing the loading is like, well, that's because he deals with man's inclination to evil. And despite, and he's like, that's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> if 
was it was just one of those like really really deep smart moments. It is. It's kind of adorable. In a film that just showed you giant lava bombs. Yeah. Like you're watching firemen get like burned alive in a tipped over truck and then you're having these guys do with this Hieronymus Bosch bit. I actually appreciate the way they did it because with the the firemen that like the first firefighter that actually first two because there was one trying to rescue him mm-hmm. that perished uh trying to get the driver of the truck out yeah they don't show their death no but there's a little plastic fireman on the f- on the front of the fire engine and as the firefighter's screaming the little plastic fireman's getting burned and i just thought the imagery of that i'm like thank you for sparing us that right i did not need to see that in 4k yeah <laughs> I love some of the clever things that they have to do because Barnes says at one point that, you know, lava is, and she's correct in this, lava is very destructive stuff. You can only really get out of the way. Yeah. But because this is a major metropolitan city, they can't all just leave. There's no, there's no mass evacuation of a city like LA. Not, not quickly and efficiently. So Rourke in his um, OEM is, um, what does it stand for? Office of Emergency Management. Office of Emergency Management. He's the director. So basically when shit is hitting the fan, he is the person that says, we're going to do this, this, and this. And the fire department and the police and MTA and DWP, they have to listen to him. Yeah. They have to do what he says. Sometimes they grumble about it. Sometimes they're not happy about it. And he's like, <laughs> quit this shit. Or look, if I don't like this plan either. If you've got a better plan, tell me. You but know? we're doing this. We're doing something. And, and I appreciate that. He's, there are several... There's a couple times in the film where he admits that he's he doesn't know exactly what to do. And he's like, this may not be the best plan, but it's currently the only one we have. If you think you have a better one, great. Speak up. Speak up. Otherwise, this is what we're doing. Because... One of the things I that is really cool is because the character is from the Midwest, mm-hmm. he is looking at the flow of the lava and considering, well, it, how would we stop this if it were water? Right. Um, so he is interested in like flood mitigation. Right. Which I think is really... <laughs> For someone with a St. Louis background in, in the mid to late 90s, that would be very appropriate right exactly well because this is 97 the flood of 93 was not that long ago four years mathematically exactly (laughs) so one of the things the first thing that they try where they um they move that bus Mm -hmm. and then shoot out the tires on one side so they can push it over yeah so it takes the lava longer to flow around it i think that's really neat yeah it was it was clever and then he basically gets emmett who is at like ground control essentially, mm-hmm. to contact construction companies and stuff to bring them K-rails. Yes. Which are like big concrete dividers. They're used in um, highway construction projects. and Folks on the East Coast know them as Jersey Barriers. Yeah. So they're basically these big, about four feet high, probably, mm-hmm. uh, concrete barriers that can kind of be um, like Legoed together. Yeah. and And you can either move them by having multiple people lift with pipes running through it, or you can uh, uh, move them with a forklift, which would probably be ideal, but not 
time efficient. No, they do have a couple forklifts because he gets this K, these K rails and he's like, listen, they've only got 82 of them. They've only got like, yeah, they've only got about 80 of them. And the whole thing is once, once the lava gets to the end of, of Wilshire and it starts to kind of branch out. They're it, done. They're done with museums. There and businesses. won't be. Yeah, it's not museums and businesses that'll be getting destroyed. It's homes, which that's a whole different story, right? And they want to stop that. So their whole solution is to use the K rails, like stacked double in a cul-de-sac, basically a, a half circle. For yeah. anyone who's not familiar with what a cul-de-sac is, and then once it gets to a certain, the lava pools there and gets to a certain height, dump a bunch of water on it. Hopefully that'll form a crust and it'll stop. Mm-hmm. And I just love that this fucking plan works. <laughs> yeah. Because it could just as easily, like, the lava just as easily could have kept going, kept rising, and gone over these K-rails. And, like, it could have not worked. But it did. And I love that it did. It was such a simple... Well, it did require the coordination of many airdrops of water. Uh, right which by the way before any of y'all going well i thought you said you know turbine engines these are firefighting helicopters yeah there they're been specifically designed i did my research five hours of it this morning at 4 a.m i seen the message boards where people are like helicopters can't fly through through all this ash that these are firefighting helicopters they're kind of designed to fly through they're this designed differently. kind of shit yeah although and we'll get into it a little bit later Volcanic ash is very different from ash. That's true. But I I love we get to this point and then Amy realizes that this is not the end, mm-hmm. that they have not seen the main eruption. And there's this other line that I really like where um, she says, I've never tracked lava under a city before. I don't know what it's going to do with man-made tunnels to flow through. Yeah. And I that even becomes like a point because she and Rourke, when they figure out they're trying to figure out the flow because the, basically the lava just kind of moved somewhere else mm-hmm. and it's moving through these underground pipes that because they are concrete are basically like acting as an insulator. So they're superheating the lava and making it flow even faster. Yeah. And the final eruption is by the Beverly Center, which I also didn't go to. <laughs> And Cedar sinai Cedar sinai Hospital, yeah. Which is where they've been triaging is, all of the injuries because it's furthest away from the initial, MacArthur Park yeah, and everything there. Exactly. Which, fun fact, MacArthur Park, uh, located at 7th and Al- Alvarado, mm-hmm. uh, is also home to Langer's Deli, who claim to have the world's best pastrami sandwich. Really? Interesting. So, New Yorkers can weigh in on that because I'm, I'm sure there'd be arguments there. Yeah, I'll probably. just try both. Bring them. Yeah. One of my favorite minor characters in this film, other than other than Emmett Reese, is uh, that doctor, Dr. Calder. Oh, yeah. Because she is a fucking boss. Yeah. Running she, triage. By, by all rights, like her husband is extremely rich. And by all rights, she could just be like, this isn't my problem and fuck off, which is, isn't what her husband ends up doing. Yeah. Uh, no. But, douchebag award goes to norman absolutely (laughs) but she is she stops to help the firefighters when the when one of the engine crashes she takes the firefighters and kelly to cedar sinai she's performing triage out in the parking lot 
And she just does, she does what needs to be done, which is what you really need and want from healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. and people that are in any kind of like a service job. I love her husband. Her husband at already is a complete like elitist douchebag. These people are breathing on you. Who knows what these people are breathing on you? And I don't want my wife treating gunshot wounds because she currently works at uh, one of the in a, a, a hospital that serves the more underserved part of the city. Mm. That's why he wants her to transfer to Cedar Sinai. He's like, I don't want my wife treating gunshot wounds. I want her treating tennis elbow, basically wasting her talents. But I wrote, I wrote in my notes because he, he tries to get her to leave and he's like, answer me. And she's like ignoring him and still doing triage. And she's like, I am answering you. And he just fucks off. Yeah. And I wrote in my notes, what did Jay lose in the disaster? About 200 pounds of dead weight. Yeah. <laughs> so Emmett and a bunch of the, and is back at like the OEM main area. And they, of course, there's, they have cameras and there's like news copters and stuff that are taking footage. When the major eruption happens at that corner of the Beverly Center, mm-hmm. he has the appropriate reaction. <laughs> Cause he sees it and like, he just like his headset just comes off and he's just like some somebody and then just can't say anything. He's just struck dumb. And I'm like, yes, that is a correct reaction. Yes. I do love that the other simple solution also works. Yeah. Just knocking over a building, (laughs) knocking over a building and blowing up trenches to get it to flow into these storm drains that ultimately flow into the ocean. Yes. I'm like, okay. That's fair. That works. Only issue I took with that was uh, the same cop is apparently at two locations. Yeah, that's uh, fair. He's covering both North and South San Vicente. Yeah. To give the all clear. And I'm like, that's not fucking possible, dude. No, it's not. Unless you have a twin that's also on the force that's also there. I'm not buying it. That's true. I think one of the real big horror moments of this film for me is uh, happens a little bit earlier. Mm, I know exactly which one you're going to talk about. Okay. So I'm assuming that Los Angeles still has a metro. I don't, I don't know. I never really used it while I was there. Yeah. I mean, I I would imagine they're still trying. Okay. So Stan is this uh, MTA guy and they're currently working on like new construction of a new area. Right. And when the big earthquake happens... They lose, they all of the trains are that we're currently running are accounted for except for one. Mm-hmm. And they go down. He's like, get a team together. We're going to go down. We're going to find that train. We're going to get those people out. And fucking Stan, they see the lava coming. And it's, and it's, it's at the point where it's still creeping very slowly. <laughs> and he's I like, I see the lava coming. It's coming round the bend. Well, because initially <laughs> they thought there was a fire. Right. Because all they see is bright orange light. And why would you think in the middle of L.A., lava? Yeah, until dude crouches down and looks under. And is like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it should not be like... Um, can we... Lo- hey, come look at this. You need to get off the train. Because they were like right. trying to triage on the train and like, like kind of assess so the situation. who's alive yeah. and get people oxygen. Because there was... Because it was so early in the morning, there was only like five or six people on the train other than the driver. Yeah. But they're kind of in a slow cooker. They kind of are basically in like a small, like a convection oven. So they've all passed out at this point oh, because yeah. of the heat. 
And the rest of the crew is getting the uh, the civilians off. And Stan's going to go look for the driver. And he finds him and is like firemen carrying him out. And as he's walking, that's when the lava is really getting, starting to consume the the subway car. And like his Nikes are melting. Yeah. And he's just repeating. He's just repeating the Hail Mary. Just over and over. Hail Mary, full of grace. Hail yeah. And... He gets to the end and the lava is still continuing to flow. And it's to the point where they're the guys are like, forget him, forget the guy. He's just jump, save yourself. And he has this like moment where you can see he makes a choice Mm. and he jumps as far as he can and then throws this guy. And then he just starts kind of Terminator 2 melting into the lava and i'm just like it's a it's weird because it's like a beautiful moment of heroism and like you think about it and you're like that would have to be absolutely awful i love that you and i have two totally different perspectives on this really yes okay so lava is a viscous substance yes it's melted rock yes yes stan's jump Mm-hmm. would have splashed lava on the person he just threw and his co-workers, causing severe burns. Also, humans don't melt into lava. He would have just ignited and burned on the spot. You don't really... Well, he, The human body does not melt, and... He does catch fire. He, do, he does catch fire. What I'm saying is, in, in the movie, he kind of melts into it. He kind it. of goes down about to the waist, and then he ju- he's, his screams just stop. Yeah, uh, what would have happened more more accurately is he he would have basically been melted in place at his ankles Mm -hmm. and i'm not gonna get too graphic don't worry folks i mean this is a horror podcast i'm sure they're fine but fair but (laughs) still this is a a bit a bit grim more than likely he would have kind of sort of folded backwards a bit or bent backwards and just kind of burned in place. He would not have done basically a, like a Terminator 2. Best case scenario, um, instead of his feet melting to the ground, uh, he winds up basically in a seating position. Sorry, guys. Ooh. Yeah, hot pants. Okay. But yeah, he wouldn't have melted. Yeah. I mean, I figured that like <laughs> it's from a science perspective, I figured that that was probably not accurate. But from a storytelling visual. Yeah. That it's it's a very chilling and very. Look, I'm also the kid that grew up thinking like quicksand was going to be a real issue because like all the cartoons taught I mean, us about quicksand. That's a lot of us, honestly. I have yet to find any. Now, I it I know it does exist and it can be very dangerous to get yourself involved in. So don't go looking for it. But like, come on, I knew more about quicksand than I un- understood about like you know avoiding electrical shock. That's true. So I have no more notes. I. I I just love this fucking movie. I know it's weird. I don't, I will say I'm not a fan of the, the weird tonal shift moment at the oh, end. They all look like a, where they all look the same. Yeah. Where there's this, there's little boy, everybody's covered in ash and Keith David picks up this little boy and is like, let's go find your mom. What does she look like? And he looks around and he's like, look at your faces. They all look the same. Because everybody's covered in ash, so everyone is basically the same color. And I'm like, I get what you all were trying to do with that, but it's not really necessary. 
we kind of already had that moment earlier when there was like the the mildly racist cop that was like trying to arrest a trying dude in the to arrest of a, a guy event. in the middle of a volcanic event who was just trying to get help for his neighborhood, but that guy was also like not helping this, but by continuing to call that guy Mark Furman and is like. <laughs> It's time for Volcano Rodney King. They're going to kick my ass. But then they end up like helping each other, which mm. the cops should. That's a fucking nah, job. Bald, ma- bald mustache was was, was always kind of. Yeah. But like, a, I, I don't I guess I just don't. I, I wrote a little thing on that. I said, you know, for 97, the whole they all look look the same bit was. I, I understand where it was coming from for, for like a little. Hey, let's all talk about equality. Right, but, but like it's a little unne- it's a slightly unnecessary pandering well, in I, in your, you know, cheesy disaster movie. And in retrospect, I think we can all agree that celebrating our differences can also bring unity and peace in a more right. healthy way instead of this whole I don't see differences. It's like, well, then you're You need to because you, that's yeah. <laughs> if you don't see differences and I'm telling you I'm treated differently than that's not helping. Right, precisely. Know? It just rem- it reminded me now, looking back, it reminded me very much of the, um, this is going to, oversimplification, but I'm watching a, a cute penguin movie and then all of a sudden it turns into like an environmental message. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Happy Feet? Part of it. Yeah. it It's this cute movie about a dancing penguin then all of a sudden it's about overfishing and how we're destroying the penguins' habitats, which like, I, yeah, I get, and that is an important message. But it just came. It just comes out of nowhere, and it isn't really necessary, right? <laughs> I don't know. It just feels overly something, right? Anyway, I have no more thoughts about the movies. Do you have your science thoughts? Yes, must hydrate. Okay, let me take a sip of water. Also, it's time to learn about science with David. What scares me the most is this is ninety percent of my notes. <laughs> And we are already at uh, quite a ways in on recording. Uh, Pre-edit, we're at uh, almost an hour and 40 minutes. Yep. Science time. Okay. So here's the science and all the ways either the movie or in many cases I was wrong. Okay. In my assessments anyway. Okay. Now keep in mind, when it comes to major geologic events, especially earthquakes and our focus here on volcanoes, There are very real dangers. I am only pointing out the facets that were featured in the films and only covering them in a brief form. This is not, you know, I mean, you can cite me in your thesis, I guess, but I cited someone else and I'm going to cite everybody that that I can. A lot of it's USGS, but there's a few other places that I cite. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just don't use this as your only knowledge if you're ever caught in a volcanic event. So starting off, according to the... USGS, or United States Geological Survey, VHP page, they actually have one. Okay. There are 161 potentially active volcanoes in the U.S. The mission of the USGS Volcano Hazards Program is to enhance public safety and minimize social and economic disruption from volcanic unrest and eruption. Hmm. We accomplish this by delivering effective forecasts, warnings, and information about volcano hazards based on scientific understanding of volcanic processes. Okay. That's directly, that's their mission statement. Cool. Good for them. So, in this assessment, we're going to look specifically at toxic gases, lahars, lava flow, volcanic ash, pyroclastic flow, 
And of course, your favorite, acid water hazards. Yay! Okay, so toxic gases. According, again, to the USGS, by far the most abundant volcanic gas is water vapor, which is harmless. However, significant amounts of carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide, hydrogen sulfide, and hydrogen halides can also be emitted from volcanoes. Depending on their concentrations, these gases are all potentially hazardous to people, animals, agriculture, and property. So CO2, carbon dioxide, Mm -hmm. what we make our sodas fizzy with and what we exhale, when it's trapped in low-lying areas can be lethal to people and animals. So since it's colorless, odorless, and it's emitted in large volumes from volcanoes, um, it typically becomes diluted uh, to low concentrations very quickly and is not life-threatening. You know, when it's just ejected into the air, it's not a huge threat, right? However, because cold carbon dioxide gas is heavier than air, it can flow into low-lying areas where it can reach a much higher concentration, especially in certain very stable atmospheric conditions, so low wind, things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this can pose serious risks to people and animals because breathing air with more than 3% CO2 can quickly lead to headaches, dizziness, increased heart rate, and difficulty breathing. Okay. At mixing ratios exceeding about 15%, carbon dioxide quickly causes unconsciousness and death. Uh, in volcanic or other areas where CO2 emissions occur, it's important to avoid small depressions and low areas that might be CO2 traps. Uh, The boundary between healthy air and lethal gas can be extremely sharp. Uh, Even a single step upslope may be adequate to escape death. For example, in 2006, three ski patrol members were killed at Mammoth Mountain Ski Resort after falling into a snow depression surrounding a volcanic fumarole, or basically a vent, which was filled with cool CO2 gas. And that was, according to a report, filled by Dr. Lee Cantrell and Michael Young. Citing, in the case described, the involved fumarole uh, is a well-known source of toxic gases. Atmospheric sampling data dating back decades demonstrated that carbon dioxide levels typically range from 97 to 99%. That's more than that 15%. Right. Also noted uh, nitrogen gas, hydrogen sulfide, other gases, you know, things, things like that. Yeah. So sulfur dioxide, SO2, irritating the eye, skin, respiratory system. Uh, it's colorless gas with a pungent odor, irritates skin and the tissues, mucous membranes of the eyes, nose, throat. So that's something you're going to notice. You're going you're gonna to feel the burning. You're going to feel you know, soreness in throat. It can cause acid rain and air pollution downwind of the volcano. At Kilauea Volcano in Hawaii, uh, high concentrations of sulfur dioxide produced volcanic smog, causing persistent health problems for downwind populations. Okay. During very large eruptions... SO2 can be injected into altitudes of greater than 10 kilometers into the stratosphere. So at long range. Right. Uh, This can have effects on ozone, things like that. Hydrogen sulfide is a very toxic in high concentrations. Uh, It's colorless, flammable, with strong offensive odor. It's sometimes referred to as sewer gas. Okay. Yeah, H2S, uh, I learned from the Navy, basically it smells like rotten eggs. And if you smell H2S and you're in a confined space, you need to get out because after a few moments, you won't smell it anymore. It numbs your olfactory senses. Okay. And the general rule was if you if you smelled it and you can't smell it anymore, get out or you're dead. Yeah. Because you will. Yeah. It, what was the yellow gas in Volcano? And those guys were in the movie sewer. magic. 
Oh, so there, the, that was probably not... Well, it, it, I think they were trying to... Be know, dramatic. Be dramatic and, and make it very obvious that this wasn't just, you know, Steam. kind of a steamy, yeah. plumy, whitish, gaseous form. Hydrogen halides. So hydrofluoric, hydrochloric, and uh, hydrobaric acids, HBr, yeah. Uh, they're toxic acids. Uh, when magma ascends close to the surface, volcanoes can emit uh, halogens fluorine, chlorine, and bromine. So, okay, so yeah. In the form of hydrogen halides. Uh, these have high solubility in water and other, and air, of course. Therefore, they, they rapidly dissolve in water. That's what I just said. Rapidly dissolve in water droplets within volcanic plumes uh, or the atmosphere where they can potentially cause acid rain. In ash-producing eruptions, ash uh, particles are also often coated with hydrogen halides. Once deposited, the coated ash particles can poison drinking water supplies, agricultural crops, and grazing land. So maybe you touch on this here in a little bit. I don't know. but I, I, I do. When it, At the end of Volcano, when it starts raining and everyone's like, oh, this feels so nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's acid rain. So it should not feel nice. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Acid rain? Uh-huh. It doesn't necessarily. It's not coming down like it's. No, know, I know like that. A I just. Or something, I just. Know? If you're covered in ash and it starts to rain, many of them will most likely have some skin irritation. Uh, they may see some of their clothes are ruined because that that ash, especially reacting with that water. If there's not acid rain coming down, it could be since they're all covered in ash, it could be filtering that way. Okay. Um, and I'll get into it a little more with with the ash portion of it, but it's. It, it, it bothers me a little bit that uh, that everyone just kind of treats this whole Ash thing in both films as like, oh, look, it's Ash. Yeah. And, and then that's it. Um, and I'm sorry for all of the chemistry class there, um, but it, it's kind of like what I needed to cover for, for that portion. So in Dante's Peak, uh, they did search for it by the team. They did some pretty good science, uh, accurate instrumentation, actually checking like gases in the, in the ground and thing like, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the gases weren't really addressed as a risk in the film outside of perhaps an offhand remark. And Volcano wasn't really addressed. However, when the firefighters and emergency crews were damming up the lava flow and using the K-rails, uh, their close proximity to extreme high temperatures, which, again, some people in, in forums have said, well, wouldn't they have just ignited being on the other side of the barrier? No, you can stand right next to lava and not ignite. It's just don't stand in lava. You yeah. will ignite. I mean, they'd be exceptionally hot, but they've also got a firefighting ensemble on, so they're you know they're somewhat protected. Right. Well, and I've seen pictures of people that are like on vacation visiting active volcanoes and stuff right. that are fairly close. Right. And they're fine. But dumping that volume of water and all just standing around, they could have very very easily exposed themselves to some concentrations, even high concentrations of CO2, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. um, so while it wasn't really addressed in the film, it could have potentially gone really south really fast. Right. Well, and I was also thinking about steam burns. Well, yeah, that that would be a best case scenario. That would be a best case scenario, yeah. If, if, if there were any injuries from that. So let's talk briefly about Lahars. You know what Lahar is? No. Okay. Lahar is an Indonesian term uh, that describes a hot or cold mixture of water and rock fragments that flows down the slopes of a volcano and typically enters a river valley. Okay. 
Small seasonal events are sometimes referred to as debris flows, especially in the Cascades. Lahars generally occur near stratovolcanoes. So this is like lava rocks and water. Lava rocks and water. Okay. So you've got, let's say, a snow-capped mountain. Okay. And it suddenly gets superheated really fast. And so that and some lava rock that may be coming out of a, fu- uh, you know, some sort of vent. Okay. I, I struggle with the, the fumarole word because it sounds like funeral. Yeah. But it's spelled totally different. Yeah. Vent is fine. We understand vent. what a vent okay. is. We all know what a vent is. <laughs> so I mentioned strato- stratovolcanoes. Um, those are like the ones in the Aleutian Volcanic Arc in Alaska. Okay. And the Cascade Range in the western U.S. Right, which is in Dante's Peak. That one is is considered part of the Cascades. And it is a stratovolcano. We'll get into that more in a bit. Cool. Uh, so moving lahar looks like a rolling slurry of wet concrete as it rushes downstream. Okay. The size, speed, and amount of material carried can consistently change. Uh, the initial flow may be relatively small, but a lahar may grow in volume as it entrains and incorporates anything in its path. Rocks, soil, vegetation, trees, cars. Kind of like a mudslide, but a little more specific. Kind of like a mudslide. You actually see one in Dante's Peak. Yeah. It can even take buildings, bridges, all, all that stuff. Um, Paul. <laughs> Look. <laughs> the flowing slurry may consume additional water through melting of snow and ice or engulfing river, lake, or water, or Paul. Um, well. V- voluminous. Big. V- voluminous? Voluminous lahars, thank you. Uh, or voluminous. No, voluminous. Voluminous lahars commonly grow... It says voluminous. Oh, you're right, it does. It doesn't seem like it would be grammatically correct, but anyway, continue. Hey, it's science. It doesn't have I- to be gr- gr- grammatically correct. That's fair. I was porky pigging it there a minute ago. Anyway, continue. Um, so the big ones can grow to more than 10 times their initial size as they move down slope. In steep areas, lahars can exceed speeds of 200 kilometers per hour or 120 miles per hour. Damn. You're not outrunning this. No, not at all. Go to the side. <laughs> if we learned anything from... If we learned anything from Prometheus, it's just... <laughs> Go sideways. Side step. <laughs> I mean, hell, I learned that from one of those knowing is half the battle things from G.I. Joe was uh-huh. a kid. Actually saved my life. I got pulled into a riptide. Yeah. And I knew from shipwreck, or no, maybe it was beachhead. No, it was beachhead. Taught me, if you get pulled into a riptide, you swim alongside the ocean, not toward, or, oh, yeah, alongside the beach, not towards the beach. Yeah. Because you're just going to wear yourself out. So, yeah, knowing was half the battle. But as they, again, Lahars, as they move uh, further away from the volcano, they decelerate and disperse. Right. Well, because eventually I'm sure they get to, like, flatter valleys. Oh, yeah. And with the leveling out of the ground comes a lack of momentum. Right. And in Dante's Peak, where they were at that bridge, past that bridge, that mouth of the body of water kind of opens up a bit. Mm-hmm. Which is a great decelerant yeah. for anything moving that way. Right. Speaking of Dante's Peak. Yay! Mentioned and shown briefly. Not really shown as much more than just a brief destructive force. Right. So, sort of like also pictured Lahar. Right. Well, because there's that, the, the, all the water flowing down, and then they, uh, there's a dam that bursts. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what causes the the flooding that ultimately takes out that bridge. Right. So in a way, it was like Lahar took out the dam that took out the bridge. Right. I'm sorry. Is this really boring? Or okay. I find it interesting. As long as it ties back into the film somehow. Oh, oh they I tie every single thing back. <laughs> in the okay. As far as volcano goes, it's not pictured because there's no mountain really involved. Well, and there's not really a whole lot of like, yeah, they're they're shooting water at it, but it's not really doing anything. Right, it's, but it's not causing a, a melting or flow of water. They're right. adding water to it. Right. So, it, not really there. Right, because it's, it's relatively flat city streets. I'm glad you bring that up, because that brings us to lava flow. Cool. The lava type dictates the flow shape and travel distance. So, lava flows are streams of molten rock that pour or ooze from an erupting vent. Mm-hmm. Vent is the source where it's coming up out of the ground. Lava is erupted during either a non-explosive activity, sort of drooling out of yeah. a vent, um, or it can be explosive lava fountains like we see in volcanoes. Right. Like a geyser of a lava. geyser of, of hot, melty rock. Or as apparently they say in the UK, a geyser. What? Yes. Every YouTuber I've seen from the UK says geyser instead of geyser. Huh. Okay. See, that makes me think of it like an old man. An old man of lava. Uh- Sounds like a Scooby-Doo villain. Yeah. Anyway. It was old man lava. Would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for... (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Um, So the speed at which lava moves across the ground depends on several factors, including one, the type of lava erupted and its viscosity. Mm -hmm. Two, the steepness of the ground over which it travels. And three, whether the lava flow as a broad sheet... Through a confined channel or down a lava tube. Okay. Oh, and four. The rate of lava production at the vent, but that's kind of like just how open is the faucet. Right. So fluid basalt flows can extend tens of kilometers from an erupting vent. The leading edges of basalt flows can travel as fast as 10 kilometers or six miles an hour on steep slopes, but they typically advance less than one kilometer an hour or about one foot per second on gentle slopes. Okay. But when basalt lava flows are confined within a channel or lava tube on a steep slope, the main body of the flow can reach velocities greater than 30 kilometers or 19 miles an hour. So based on the math that they were doing in volcano kind of tracks, but I feel like just on the city street, it was moving a bit fast. Right. And and she even mentions that it's moving faster because it's being, it's being superheated by the I'm talking when it's just on the street. Oh, just on the street. Okay. That's going a bit fast. Oh, okay. Because there's no slope. I mean, sure, the basketball's rolling a little bit. That's not a slope. That's an indent in the ground. Right. That's That's fair. We're talking like mountainous slopes here. Now, viscous andesite flows, which is a different type of lava. Okay. It's like a different brand. They move only a few kilometers per hour or a couple feet per second. So pretty slow. And rarely extend more than eight kilometers from their vents. So they just kind of like creep along a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Now, viscous dacite and rhyolite flows often form steep-sided mounds called lava domes. Okay. uh, Over an erupting vent. Lava domes often grow by the extrusion of many individual flows, greater than 30 meters or 100 feet thick. That's how little volcanoes become big volcanoes. Yes, over a period of several months or years. Such flows will overlap with one another and typically move less than a few meters per hour. Okay. 
So like sometimes if you if you're watching a documentary about like the like Kilauea and you're watching it just kind of creeping along just continuously going yeah. and then another one comes and more lava comes out and it just kind of it's like painting over paint over paint for texture sort of thing. Yeah. Now in Dante's Peak, the lava is really only featured as part of the threat and destroyer of Grandma Ruth's cabin. Yeah. The main issue I have is that the height of the lava flow, as I mentioned before, at, at when it breaks through the wall, it should have been through the wall already. Right, because it's a it's a log cabin. Yeah. It's a really nice log cabin, but it is still a log cabin, so it should not have gotten to where basically up to like waist high yeah. before it started coming through the wall. It was it, it was sort of having a Gears of War moment with waist-high walls. Right. Um, but uh, with Dante's Peak specifically, the initial lava we're shown mm. was moving far too fast. However, as the lava flow progressed, it actually got to about correct for that type of volcano. Okay. Um, that's because Dante's Peak is a stratovolcano, very much like Mount St. Helens. What we were first shown is closer to what you would see at Kilauea. Okay. Uh, which is a shield volcano. Now, in Volcano, I kind of give it a pass here because, uh, except for the La Brea source, which typically we see the, the flows confined to, like, channels or the, you know, the subway tunnels, things like that. Yeah. You know, the movement speed could be influenced by, you know, more of the volumetrics than slope. But, again, if it's relatively flat you're not going to see that high-speed flow. Right. Even if it is superheated, unless there's a massive amount of volume coming out. Yeah. Now, the way that would happen is if the tectonic plate was actually being pushed under instead of scraping, it was actually being pushed under, which they explained was apparently happening. Yeah. Um, so part of that plate was being melted in the magma, causing a extreme excess of magma right it's really the only way you could justify that much or sorry not magma lava it's lava once it comes out yeah it's but, magma when it's still in the ground it's lava once it's been exposed exactly i think that we should do that for blood like like you know if blood comes out we should call something call it something else when it's inside well blood does do a really cool thing where it's blue until it gets exposed exposed to air and then it turns red i like that it gets exposed to air because just sorry. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I'm I, sorry I, I misspoke. No, no, I, I like the word exposed. Yeah, exposed. Ex- exposed to air. So yeah, that's why your veins are blue, is because your blood is actually blue, not red. Hmm. It's just red when it when you get a cut or something, and it's exposed to the oxygen in the air. Interesting. Or something like that. I don't remember. There's some sort of chemical process that happens where that makes your blood turn red. When it's no longer in your body. Hmm. Uh, and again, that's primarily according to the U.S. Geological Survey. The his stuff, not mine. Yeah, no, not the, not the blood thing. <laughs> the, they don't they don't know shit about blood. Well, maybe they maybe do, they but, do. I don't know. But it not that medical side note has nothing to do with volcanoes. <laughs> it's just an interesting fact. All right. Speaking of interesting facts, I have more. Yay! And hopefully, don't lose my holy shit. Yeah, I know. We're at over two hours. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm, uh, more than half done. Okay. <laughs> All right. You're the one who's going to have to edit this, not me. So. <sighs> yeah, no. Sorry, uh, folks. It's going to be a little long. That's what she said. Um, so volcanic ash. 
So when you think of ash, what comes to mind? Like just when you think of the word ash. Gray. Gray. Like the color gray. Silty kind of um, Mm -hmm. remnants of a fire. Remnants. Okay. Uh, So like a wood or paper ash. Yeah. Or ash from a cigarette or cigar or pipe. Yeah. Interestingly, the ash in both movies was actually ground newspaper. That's that's some hard hitting news facts. Sorry. Anyway, continue. Also probably highly flammable in the environment. Eh, I don't know. Volcanic ash is a bit more complex. I imagine it would be. So, explosive eruptions produce ash, and all explosive volcanic eruptions generate tephra, fragments of rock that are produced when magma or rock is explosively ejected, Mm -hmm. becoming lava. The largest fragments, blocks and bombs, generally greater than 64 millimeters or greater than 2.5 inches, so... See what I mean by those bombs being like, you know, the size of big boom boxes. Those right. are exceptionally large bombs. There's one that's like the the size of like your average microwave. And I'm like, that seems a little excessive. Impossible? No, but... Unlikely, yes. It, it is exceptionally large. And actually, it's some of this tephra that actually winds up uh, killing dude's fiance in, in the be- beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Harry's fiance at the beginning of Dante's Peak. Dante's Peak, yes. These can be expelled with great force and furious anger. No, um, <laughs> but they're they're usually deposited near the eruptive vent. Okay. So great force, but not necessarily long range. Right. So the closer you are to the site, the more likely you're going to have this stuff happening. Right. So okay. stand back. Right. Lapilli-sized material, 6 to 64 millimeters or... 0.24 to 2.5 inches in diameter okay. can be carried upward within a volcanic plume and downwind in a volcanic cloud, but fall to the ground as the eruption cloud cools. The smallest material we're getting there is the volcanic ash. Okay. That's less than two millimeters in diameter. It's still rather large when you're thinking material-wise. I mean, Right. These are they, they look almost like big gray snowflakes in the movies. Well... This, this ash is both easily convected upward within the plume and carried downward for very long distances. As it falls out of uh, suspension, it can potentially affect communities, farmlands across hundreds or even thousands of square kilometers or miles. Yeah. So this is the blotting out of the sky. Right. Well, and I remember that uh, the volcano in... Um Iceland, I believe, that erupted a few years ago, the one that has the really long name. Which I will not attempt to pronounce. Right. That had, like, like they had to can't, like, flights were canceled, oh, like, yeah. all over area, various areas of Europe, and, it, like, it caused a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. Thanks, volcano no one can pronounce. <laughs> I'm sure if I had a minute, I could. <laughs> so, the speaking of which, ash endangers aviation and infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, Ashfall rarely endangers human lives. But it can have devastating effects on the things that we rely upon from day to day. Mm-hmm. As a result of its fine-grained abrasive character and widespread di- distribution by wind, ashfall and volcanic ash clouds are a major hazard to aviation. I did see something that said that they can also, um, if you if it gathers on your on your skin or like if you're around a lot of it falling, it can cause skin and eye irritation. Oh yeah, because of how because of its abrasive nature. It's rather abrasive. Like, don't invite it over for dinner. <laughs> you were talking about vehicles, though. 
Yes. The primary hazard from, for example, uh, Alaska volcanoes is ash clouds, which again impact aviation and ashfall reaching areas downwind. Ash fallout to the ground can pose significant disruption and damage to buildings, uh, as well as transportation, water, wastewater, power supply, communications equipments, agriculture, and primary production, leading to potentially substantial societal impacts and costs, even at thicknesses of only a few millimeters or inches. I know millimeters are smaller than inches, but it's a range. Right. Additionally, fine-grained ash, when ingested, can cause health impacts to humans and animals. Not only do you not want to eat it, but think of what we're talking about here. We're thinking igneous rocks, so basalt, which is you know a, a dense black rock. Mm-hmm. We've got pumice, which is a coarse, very lightweight rock, very porous. Yeah. And volcanic glass, like obsidian. Right. So in micro size... It's not stuff that you would want to be breathing in. You don't want to be breathing that in, uh, causing tons of micro tears. Uh, you also don't want rub that in your eyes. No. That's uh, not good. No. Impacts from ashfall are more complex and multifaceted than any other volcanic hazard. Uh, variabilities include the distance from the eruption source, the orientation of dispersion, and the eruption cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amount of ashfall received, physical and chemical properties of the ash, characteristics of the receiving environment, such as climate and land use... Yeah. And the ability of affected community to adapt to the asphalt. Well, and I know one of the things that they look at in uh, in Volcano, one of the cuts back to the, the OEM headquarters, they're talking about rerouting flights. Mm-hmm. And one guy mentions that they're going to send them to, um, I think, Ontario. And Emmett's like, no, 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 no. Look at the way that this ash cloud is moving you know it's gonna go that direction we need to send them he's like it's going this way we need to send those flights to san diego or san francisco i think it's san diego ontario why central canada Mm. that's weird anyway so a little side note here and that is buildings are not necessarily a safe place to be with a large ash fallout okay Structural damage due to excessive ash loading, because also if you're in the middle of a volcanic event, depending on how close you are to the vent, you may have experienced some earthquake activity. So there may already be some structural weakening. Okay, so kind of similar to um, a little bit of snow is fine, but the more snow you get building up, the more chances you have of like a roof caving in. But in a much more extreme sense. Okay. Because snow, you can have a couple feet of snow on on your roof and and probably be fine, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking excessive loading ash, very thick ash deposits, so greater than 100 millimeters. Okay. That's 10 centimeters. So 2.5 centimeters to an inch. Four inches. That doesn't seem like a lot. Um, that but, that really doesn't seem like very much. But more commonly greater than 300 millimeters, so that'd be 12 inches or a foot. Okay. May cause a roof to collapse, although this ash thickness is rare. However, long span, low pitched roofs are typically the most vulnerable. And when ash gets wet, the static loads may increase by up to 100%. Jeez. Which could mean an inch of ash. Now the rain's coming. Now your roof's caved in. Right. Now you're wet. 
your pants are dirty, Pierce Brosnan, and you have no roof over your head. So in Dante's Peak, some ash is a minor obstacle, makes it hard to see, dangers aren't really addressed. Right. And everybody's breaking it in, and it's no big deal. Yeah, nobody seems to be uh, super Volcano, concerned about it. Someone even says, it's like gray snow. And the lava bombs are a bit extreme. Right. But. Because one of them, like, hits. They have them hitting, like, cars and uh, cars and billboards and fire trucks. And, like, jizzing out on people. One of them hits, and then, like, some lava loops out of it and hits, <laughs> hits Gabby Hoffman on the leg. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seemed a little extreme. So I, I just find it interesting that like the most minimized across both movies is actually the most dangerous effect. Right. Because everybody thinks lava and that's the big danger. It's like, well, that's the immediate danger at the source. Mm-hmm. But the like long lasting your your town may not survive this long term is going to be the ash. Right. It, depending on the composition of it. Plus, micro-tears in the lungs can lead to other things, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, silicosis of the lungs is is common if you don't have any kind of protection around uh, this ash, because you could also have a lot of silicate deposits mm-hmm. uh, in there. So let's talk. We're almost done. Okay. I promise, folks. We're almost done. Let's talk pyroclastic flows. Yeah. What the fuck is a pyroclastic flow? I mean, I know pyro means fire. Very good. So here I'm jumping from USGS because that got so word salady. I don't even <laughs> like. I borrow a Started little bit of their really, stuff. Really bogged down in the science. <laughs> so let me paint you a picture, and this is uh, from five disastrous errors in volcano movies from Escapist. September 2014 article. I think that's the article I was going to send you. Um, It was written by uh, CJ Miozzi. Okay. So what's a pyroclastic flow? The short answer is it was a pyroclastic flow that killed 16,000 people and buried the towns of Pompeii and Herculaneum under 20 to 60 feet of ash during the 79 eruption of Vesuvius. Currents of hot gas and ash sped away from the volcano at up to 450 miles an hour at temperatures of up to 1830 degrees Fahrenheit, roiling, churning, burning death. No. This is that thing that you described as terrifying and beautiful? Yeah, the pyroclastic cloud. Yeah, that's what this is. Yeah, terrifyingly beautiful. A burning dragon, if you will. Yeah. It's vivid, but does that answer our question? Mm -hmm. I at least painted you a picture. How do you feel about salad? Like the food salad? Well, according to the USGS website, we get a bit more information. (laughs) Because here comes the word salad. Pyroclastic flows contain a high-density mix of hot lava blocks, pumice, ash, and volcanic gas. They move at very high speed down volcanic slopes, typically following valleys. Most pyroclastic flows consist of two parts, a lower basal flow of coarse fragments that moves along the ground, and a turbulent cloud of ash that rises above the basal flow. Ash may fall from the cloud over a wide area downwind of a pyroclastic flow. Okay. So, these can form in different ways. There can be a collapse of an eruption column uh, during a highly explosive eruption. 
the column ejected upwards into the atmosphere cools and then can become too cool and dense to maintain an upward momentum. So then it comes screaming down at high speed. Okay. It can be boiling over from an eruptive vent during an explosive eruption. This is material that is erupted without forming a high plume and rapidly moves down slopes. This is more like a downward missile of fiery death. Okay. Or it can be a collapse of a lava dome or flow. Uh, so the, the fronts of the lava flows or domes can actually become so steep that they collapse due to the gravitational force. So you've got like this sheet that's trying to harden and it can't hold on because gravity's just like, um, no. Okay. Sit down, John. And it just flies down. Okay. So these destroy nearly everything in their path, with rock fragments ranging in size from ash to boulders and travel across the ground at speeds typically greater than 80 kilometers or 50 miles an hour. That's the typical speed. Right. Um, They knock down, shatter, or bury, or carry away nearly all objects or structures in their path. Doesn't care if it's a tree, a building, don't even care what kind of building it is. The gas inside a pyroclastic flow can be extremely hot. They're generally between 200 degrees Celsius and 700 degrees Celsius. For us Americans, that's 390 to 1300 degrees and can ignite fires and melt snow and ice. Uh, They vary in size. Um, They can be small flows that move less than five kilometers or three miles from a volcano. If you're in the margin of one of the flows, if you're in any of the vicinity of it, death and serious injury to people and animals may result. Uh, They generally follow valleys or other low-lying areas, like I mentioned. So much like in Dante's Peak, they actually kind of painted that that picture nicely of it kind of flowing down that, that valley in that in that range there very quickly and just kind of like decimating oh yeah yeah it was like if you were in the way you were done yeah um they can also lead to secondary hazards especially flooding and lahars so yeah that's how it happens cool eroding and melting ice uh, which we covered damming or blocking streams and volcanic valleys which may create lakes behind the blockage that eventually overtop and erode the blockage Mm mm-hmm and uh, increasing the rate of stream runoff and erosion during rainstorms due to the creation of an easily eroded landscape with sparse vegetation. So basically making a big pool that eventually collapses and then causes extra flooding again. Right. So in Dante's Peak, uh, these pyroclastic flows were depicted fairly accurately. Oh, cool. uh, Much to my surprise. A volcano didn't really happen. Right. There wasn't really the chance for it was that. more it was more like a, a, a pimple of lava. Right. Um, so now the one you've been waiting for, my love, acid lakes or water. Okay. Cause that's the whole that was the one of the Alright, go. Sorry. No, no. That that was one of the big burning questions. Right, because I'm like, how is like I'm sure it's possible because I mean, it's all science and Water has a has a pH balance, and mm-hmm. I'm sure if it gets too much one way than the other, it's the whole thing is acids and base acids and bases. Right, uh, and when the when the base drops and the acid gets too high, um, we find at least in Dante's Peak the pH balance was not for her. No. Um, so for reference, I did discuss acid lakes in our March thirtieth, uh, twenty twenty two episode. More creepy locations. Oh, that's right. We did. I forgot about that. So I went that. into deep detail on how those work. Okay. So we know this is a thing. And please feel free to listen to that episode if you want the foundation on how that creates over time. But 
is what we saw in Dante's Peak accurate? Because this didn't really occur in Volcano. No, there wasn't a chance for this kind of thing. So let's dissolve the elephant in the room. Oh, Topsy. <laughs> Could the lake become acidic enough to eat through an aluminum boat? I know the boat is aluminum because it's made by Valcaro, who made aluminum boats. Okay. Uh, as depicted explicitly, not likely, however, uh, when aluminum, which forms a layer of aluminum oxide when exposed to oxygen, like in air, mm-hmm. uh, and acts as a protective barrier to many chemical reactions. So that aluminum oxide is a natural occurring thing on aluminum. Uh Uh-huh. So, according to uh, Yuri Taran, a senior researcher at the Institute of Geophysics at the National Autonomous University of Mexico and lead author of a study at Kermiski Lake nestled in the long-dormant Academy Noc Caldera, a hole in the earth left behind when a massive eruption emptied out a magma chamber next door, about three miles north, rises the Karamiski Volcano, most active volcano in Kamchatka. He and other researchers noted that much of the ejected material that collapsed back into the lake, stewing in kind of a fetid mix of sodium, sulfate, calcium, and magnesium, when scientists reached the lake, they discovered the pH had dropped from 7.5 to 3.2, in the range of about grapefruit juice and vinegar. Okay. And the water's color was yellow to brown. So, I then looked at the hydrochloride, sulfur dioxide, and sulfur trioxide reactivity charts for aluminum. Okay. This is what I did at 4.30 this morning. And while the sulfur dioxide and sulfur trioxide have minimal reactivity with aluminum, and only the um, hydrochloric acid uh, is listed as having a high reactivity... At room temp, the likely resultant water pH uh, would only be the equivalent of grape juice, right? Uh Uh-huh. But at elevated temperatures, the reactivity jumps for every additional 10 degrees Celsius. For example, if you put aluminum foil in a pan of hydrochloric acid dilution, so hydrochloric acid and water, and at room temperature, it's not really going to do anything. But if you slowly start heating it up, it's going to start fizzling away to nothing. Okay. It's going to actually dissolve it. Um... That is primarily sourced from a, an article called Acid Lakes, Do They Exist and Would They Dissolve a Boat? <laughs> By Dr. Jonathan Hare, the CSC of Chemistry Department at the University of Sussex in Brighton. And I also sourced some of that information from uh, Becky Oskin's uh, October 15th, 2013 article, Dante's Peak for Real, Volcanic Eruption Creates Deadly Acid Lake. So... Yes. So, yes. It very much I mean, could Jesus, have. give me the fucking answer. <laughs> well, I, I did in science words. Yeah, I don't, I'm bad at science words. So, as much as I was rolling my eyes and shaking my head in disbelief, especially that boat wasn't brand new. There could have been scratches, especially on the underside. So, that would have damaged some of the protective right. uh, paint and, and aluminum oxide. Yeah. It's very plausible for it to start kind of bubbling and melting okay cool so we're at the absolute home stretch are we yes yes we are (laughs) so advice summary the best advice for any of these aspects of a volcanic event leave the area immediately if you're warned to evacuate because of an eruption is imminent do so this is not board up your windows and ride it out this is that's not a thing that's going to happen this is not a hurricane right 
If you can drive rather than walk, use your vehicle to evacuate. When driving, keep the doors and windows closed. Drive across the path of danger if, if you can, or away if you can't. In other words, go sideways if you can, but if the lava flow, the only way to go is directly, you know, drive directly away from it, then I guess that's your only choice. Right. And this is my own piece, not from USGS, and that is, again, do not drive over or through a lava flow. So, Dante's Peak, overall, I earlier I said, let's shoot an establishing disaster and make it as realistically dark as possible so nobody can see the crap effects. Realistically, between the ash, the fires caused by the lava, the pyroclastic flow, and the lightweight pumice rocks that could have been ejected, as far as debris goes, it was actually fucking right. Nice. Much of the science was right in the film, if not spiced up a little bit for the audience, and frankly, aside from timetable issues and poor decisions made by people, the volcano did a good job in the movie. Yeah. Being fairly accurate, it hit the volcano checklist, they had the events in the right order, earthquake, lava, lahar, mud flow, pyroclastic flow, in that order. Volcano, initially I felt this was the more grounded, pardon the pun, uh, it, it, I... I it's significantly less accurate for the geologic makeup of the location, although there are an entire list of locations in California monitored by the Los Angeles County OEM. There is a PDF of it. I am not reading it because we're like two and a half hours into recording yeah. this. Can we do our wrap up or are we? Yes. What What are your thoughts on these movies, my love? I gave my thoughts earlier. I enjoy both of them. I prefer Volcano just because I think it's a more interesting concept. I I like I like them both. I didn't expect saying this. Um, actually, was fascinated by the research I did this morning, and uh, I'm going to be careful in the future when I ask you to do research. I left it very open for you, and I said research volcanoes. <laughs> so I did. So you did, and that's how we ended up that at pre-edit. Over two hours and 30 minutes. <laughs> yes. But now so, you all have things you can tell people that are fun facts backed up by USGS and Escapist and entire... Other sources. Can uh, we, other uh, sources, yes. Can we wrap it up? Yes, I <laughs> am done talking. It's fucking hot in here. It's really hot in here. <laughs> I am done talking. Okay. I love you and I love listening to you. I need to be... I need to... Be more careful in the future and not just set you free. Because apparently that was a fucking mistake. I should have been more specific. And I am sorry. Next time I will be more specific. And I summarized a lot of that. I know. I know. As always, you can find us on our website, h2horrorcast.com. There are links to our Facebook, Twitter, blog posts, etc., etc. Patreon, patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. Uh, You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. Thank you to current patrons, Liz, Lizzie, Gray, and Mom. You're all are the best. I'm trying to get this over quickly. Um, Rate and review us. If you've already done that, share us with a friend that you think will like this bonkers fucking shit (laughs) that occasionally fucking happens when i let david loose and i just say hey why don't you research volcanoes instead of narrowing i forgot who i was talking to (laughs) i love you i love you too until next time i'm tia 
And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon.